The following content is provided under a Creative Commons license. Your support will help MIT OpenCourseWare continue to offer high-quality educational resources for free. To make a donation or view additional materials from hundreds of MIT courses, visit MIT OpenCourseWare at ocw.mit.edu. Okay, um, just a few announcements before we get into lecture today. So the structure for today, our lecture, two hours work in your, uh, in your groups. Um, we have, um, unfortunately, um, L, the grad student who's working with the heat wave, um, who would be using the heat wave game, um, is sick today, so she won't be able to come in. Um, but I'm, I'm working on rescheduling a time for her to come in. Um, what I'd like, love to do is if we can get her a, um, a web link of the heat wave game that she can then give you feedback on. Um, that might be good uh, for you guys, for y'all. Um, for the rest of the class, we've got Pablo in today. Um, he talked to the SNAP team already. Uh, is he going to talk to you again today, or are you guys all on the right page with him? It'd be nice to show him the game. Okay. Oh, you didn't show him the game then? Okay, cool, cool. Um, so he's going to take a look at, what I'd like him to do is talk, take a look at the forecast-based future game um, today, if, if, if you can, um, at 2 o'clock. I'm going to show him a build, get some feedback from him. Um, and then he'll take a look at the snap game. And then if he's got time, the two cholera games. Um, you can take a look at those. Um, and again, if you want to give him uh, web links to the to playable versions of the games, just send them to the video game bosses list, and I'll forward them on. Um, other announcements um, we have. So this Friday, and I'm going to email this to the announcements list later today. This Friday, there is a free um, conference workshop thing going on at a hotel, I think, in Boston. But it's being run by Epic Games uh, about Unreal. So they're going to do a bunch of different workshops from about 2 to 5 and end the day with a networking um, party. Uh, so if you're interested in using the Unreal engine um, and all the different new things about that engine, um, they'll be running that. They're also going to be on campus Tuesday at 5 PM, so Tuesday, November 18th. That can be found at the Game Lab website. Um, and they'll be talking about um, uh, Blueprint, the a way to do um, scripting in Unreal that's kind of similar to some things I've seen in, for Unity, but it's baked into Unreal. And if you use previous versions of Unreal, I think it's related to Kismet, if you used that tool before. Um, otherwise, um, upcoming guests we have the class um, that are different from the syllabus. Um, on Monday, we're going to have two writers in talking with Drew, um, doing a little panel and then a Q&A with y'all. Um, talking about different, different ways of looking at writing for games um, that I think are going to be very um, directly related to at least two of the games that I've seen. Because uh, yours a yours very dialogue-driven game, yeah? And then the Animal Crossing kind of game, um, I imagine it would be, uh, be really useful for you all. Um, probably useful for the other two, two as well, but those are the ones that I first came to my, my mind when I was um, scheduling that one. Um, and then on the 19th, right, we have Blizzard coming in, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so Wednesday 19th, um, Blizzard's going to come in, and it's teams from Heroes of the Storm? Uh, I think so, but I... But yeah, we're not quite sure exactly who's going who's gonna to be there for that, um, but we talked to them and we requested either Heroes of the Storm or um, Hearthstone. So one of those, one of those groups um, will begin to talk about their production process, and you can ask them things about what it's like to work at Blizzard. Um, that's everything I've got. Yeah, so I'm going to bring it over to, to your wired. Cool. Great. So uh, 
When the, I went over to GDC Next uh, just last week, uh, I met Richard. Uh, actually, he's been to our lab before, and uh, he gave this talk on game audio. And then I remembered, wait a minute, there's a talk on game audio that's coming up in class, and I was just going to fake it. Uh, and then uh, I heard his talk and realized maybe he should be the one talking to you instead. So I invited him, and Andy Frostberg, uh, who is his partner at Hexony Audio. Uh, let's see, you, you, you'll see the name of the company come up uh, in the next slide. And uh, they, are, they do professional sound design and audio design <coughs> and music. You know, that includes things like sound effects, uh, a, a, as well as scoring, and also advising companies on things like the technology that they are using. And he's going to talk a little bit about uh, how to do good audio on a budget, uh, as well as just things to think about in your audio design of your own games. So I'm going to hand it over to you. And thank you right. very much for speaking today. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Happy to be here. Just curious, so the class, I'm wondering, what, what level is it? Is it more introductory, advanced? What's the, uh, the focus? Intermediate. Uh, so they're okay. making um, video games, but uh, it's a class that actually has prerequisites, so they needed to take other classes, either in game design or in programming, before they came in. Okay, cool. cool. So I'm just curious, like, show of hands, how many people, like, are planning to go out into the world after you graduate and become game designers, game developers? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, cool, cool. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> Sweet. No, very nice. Great. So yeah, um, we're gonna you know talk to you about music and sound in games, and then uh, give a little bit of very practical advice about working with composers and working with sound designers, since that's the um, the situation most of you will probably be in. So we'll give you a little overview of ourselves in a second. But if you want to go on to the next slide, you know we're gonna talk about three key areas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're just going to tag team this, you know, yeah. like we're, we're, we're just going to like. So the, the three things we're going to talk about are, uh, number one, interactivity. Um, so we're going to talk to you about what makes game audio different than film audio and why you should care about it. And then uh, in agreements, we're going to talk about contracts, you know, and what that looks like for uh, you hiring a composer or a sound designer, which is really most often the case with an indie game. And then lastly, we'll talk about money and budgets, you know, and, and how much hiring uh, one of us or, uh, you know, audio guys takes. So, um, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. a little bit about us. Um, I'm Richard Ludlow again, and I'm the audio director at our company, and Andy is the, uh, the music director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you both went to school in Boston, actually. Yeah, just across the river over at Berkeley and um, did their game audio thing. And uh, now we, we started the company Hexney Audio. And um, basically, music, sound, and dialogue, as well as implementation services, are what we do with our clients. So, yeah. and we're uh, based in Los Angeles, obviously. Yeah, based in LA, and um, we have a, uh, you know, we, uh, experience working on you know larger AAA console games, lots of mobile indie things. So really wide range, and we do film and commercial media as well. But our focus really is on games and interactivity and the technology that drives that. So, um, yeah, without further ado, you know, if you want to jump ahead to uh, the basics. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, music and games is all about um, dynamic, the dynamic experience and player input in the game and how the music and sound effects adapt around that. Obviously, it's much different than linear media, such as film, TV, etc. When you watch a film, that same explosion is going to happen in the same point every time. So obviously, with games, we have to change that, um, because games are different. And we have to make it adaptive to what's going on. So there's four major parts to audio in a game, usually. 
Um, there's the music, there's the sound, and the dialogue. But the major part of this, again, is the implementation into the game. If we write amazing music or sound effects or we have the coolest voiceover artist in the world and we get them to do that stuff for our game, if we implement it incorrectly or the developer um, doesn't do such a great job because there wasn't a dialogue between us, then um, this, all the stuff on the left side, those three things, almost don't even matter. You know, So it's all about the, how it gets put in the game as well as how it, it's crafted for so. And we're going to talk about that in the interactivity section. If you're like, you know, what is this implementation witchcraft we speak of? Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Next slide. Yeah, so uh, the importance <laughs> of audio. You know, really talking about why you guys should care about audio. Because, you know, so often, you know, you think, okay, I've got this mobile game. I'm going to shut off the audio. Who cares about it? But, you know, there, the, the depth that it adds is really important. And, you know, we just like to touch on three key areas of why music and sound is so important in games. If you want yeah, to. the first being obviously the emotional factor and um, I mean you can't get around that basically you know with everything else it, basically audio goes straight to the center of your brain that controls that stuff. It, it just skips everything else and stimulates that. Um, so obviously um, I mean if when we were kids you know we turn we turn the music off of a game or turn the music off of a film and we'd realize that we weren't having those emotional responses that we did um, when it was on. So obviously emotion is a huge part of <laughs> what we do. Yeah. And that that's you know, that's like a chemical response like like Andy said, you know, it's like actually eliciting, just to emphasize again, like a chemical response. Visuals do not trigger these emotional processing centers. Yeah. It's like sound and music, that's stimulating parts of your brain that are like different. Yeah. And actually creating the emotion. It's pretty amazing. Uh, at least we like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, cool. So the, the next one is like function, you know, uh, and this isn't a great term, but uh, audio, it supports the, the ability for the player to really absorb a lot of the game information. So uh, when I say function, you know, it, 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 it has the function of giving you information and also the function of telling you, you know, what's going on with regards to your actions. So for example, you're walking down a hallway and you've got, um, uh, you, you're, you're, there's a guy up ahead that you hear, you know, maybe walking and you know, okay, there's a guard up ahead and then maybe your oxygen tank is running low and you've got a little beep and your health is, you know, maybe at 50%. Maybe there's an alarm going off in the building. You hear a guy in the next room. Uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, you hear all these different things and all of that is information that's being processed and sent to you and you're able to absorb it all instantly without needing to think and see like text on the screen that says, oh, okay, I'm like at 50% oxygen, there's three enemies nearby, uh, you know, it's, it's getting dark out because uh, I hear the crickets. This is just stuff that your brain like subconsciously absorbs. So it's functional in that it provides that information for players in, in an entirely new dimension that is subconscious to them. So you can convey lots of uh, subconscious information. Exactly. And then also it's that feel-good factor for games. So you know, you, 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 you punch a guy and, uh, oh well, <laughs> hold up on that maybe. But you punch a, yeah, you punch a guy and um, uh, it feels like, you know, it feels good uh, in the game, you know, and that, that is because of that, uh, that trigger, you know, the, the, the sound meshing with the, uh, you know, the psychological peak. And anyway, so the sounds, you know, we were talking about that are memorable. I know you just played, what was that, like the Zelda sound or something? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I couldn't quite hear. Obviously, yeah, it obviously has to be memorable game audio as well. And, um, like, yeah, you played the Zelda one. You think of the, the countdown for Mario Kart where it makes you want to hit A really fast and beat everyone, obviously. Um, but there's, there's countless examples. Um, we might have it. Let's see. 
You can just play them all. Just play them all. <laughs> Let's see. I'm not sure if you've played them, but I'll just talk about them. Anyway. Oh, there So, I mean, these these are really iconic sounds, and I think the Mario coin sound is next. Let's see. Maybe. Yeah, so, you know, like, that sound defined an entire generation of games. And, it, and you know, the Zelda sound, like, when you hear that, that's, like, extremely rewarding for the player. It's extremely memorable. The sound is, like, burned into a player's conscience, you know, in a way that is it, that, that doesn't necessarily happen with visuals. Like, you hear that... And you, you hear the achievement sound that we played, and it's like, oh, I've unlocked that. There's like this, this you know, stimulating reward response. That's, and so good sound and bad sound is going to stick with your players. And, and it can really help, you know, set that game apart so that later on, you know, your, uh, the players are remembering your game in a very unique way. Yeah. Anyway, next slide. we'll move on to the real stuff now. So interactivity, you know, that was kind of the preface. So the first section that we talk about is, you know, that implementation and how that works in games. And uh, interactivity is a huge part of that. So if you want to jump ahead to the next slide. Um, yeah. So on the music side of things, obviously, we want music that changes dynamically based on what the player is doing, whether he's walking into a field and staying there for five hours because he left it on to go make a sandwich or because he's walking in to buy something from a shopkeeper. Um, so how do we do that? There's several different things we can do, um, whether a player's going into battle, etc. Um, we can use one system called layering, which um, Richard's going to talk about in another slide. Um, we're going to talk about cross-fading, um, and then you're going to give you an example of branching as well. Um, and then there's also generative, and these are just a few. There's so many, there's so many options that we can use to implement um, music in a cool, interactive way. So Yeah. So uh, let's jump over to one of the examples and go ahead and throw that up. Don't hit the uh, play button quite yet. So uh, you can you can hit the next slide and it'll pop up the graph. Great. So um, what you're seeing here is a the idea of a layered score. So in this one, I, this is a piece of music I wrote for a game where there's three different intensity layers. And you're going to hear a first one that's very, uh, you know, low intensity. And then you're going to hear these other layers come in on top as... Uh, maybe the player, you know, starts to go into an area with enemies, and then they go into an area where they're in battle, and you'll hear the music kind of stack in a very dynamic way. Anyway, go ahead and hit play. Let's see. See that low intensity? Players got some, some name. was like you could hear the layers fading out in and between one another but it was a very dynamic experience so this is where we'd like take the music and we'd specifically craft it and write it so that these things could stack and be triggered dynamically based on whatever the player is doing so let's jump ahead to the next slide so this is one more example and this is the last one we'll show you for music 
um, that deals with uh, the way that music can move dynamically between states again. So yeah, so we've got the, uh, the low, medium, high, but this time we've broken it out into smaller little chunks. So the player will do something and the music will actually wait until a musical point, like the next bar or beat, and then it will begin a transitional segment into the next level intensity. And this is going to be a much more dynamic and fluid experience than the layering. So uh, go ahead and uh, hit play. Low intensity again. <coughs> so player's going to do something and it's going to come in with the transition. Transition. into medium and medium You saw the music move through one, two, three, four, six different pieces there. Oh, but it sounded like the experience was being scored. So again, the idea here is, you know, we're trying to, you know, again with a film, you watch it, it goes by, you know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with the game. So we write music that can change and adapt like that in a, in a very film-like way to yeah. score the player experience. So, you know, uh, why do we do this? So obviously it creates a more immersive and dynamic player experience. Uh, anytime we're taking you guys out of that escapist experience like we're not doing our job um, it extends track longevity which um, we'll explain later with budgets why that's nice as well um, but you get better replay value out of it um, and um, it's the greatest value from each individual minute of music yeah um, so instead of having to write you know yeah. hire someone to write three different pieces of music if you're on a budget you can say We'll do one piece of music and we'll make it layered and it'll be one better piece of music. Exactly, because like something like if um if a movie is ninety minutes long and they want sixty minutes of music, you write sixty minutes of music. One small mobile game could have fifteen minutes of music or it could have one minute of music or three minutes of music. So it all depends. Yeah, and that you know, that goes into we'll talk about with budgets how that affects that. <laughs> But, um, you know, so yeah, jumping on to the next slide, you know, how do we do these, these interactive systems? We build them with what we call audio middleware. And uh, two of the commercial ones are FMOD that you see here, and if you want to jump ahead to the next one, WISE. And um, these are just screenshots. And essentially, these allow us to interface with programmers um, and set up these musical triggers and these points of, you know, musical change based on different parameters like number of enemies around or game state or health and let us set up these musical transitions and things like that. So, um, yeah, we can jump on to the next section. Um, agreements, yeah. So, you know, you, you've 
you've uh, you've learned all about interactivity, and you're like, yes, this is awesome. I'm gonna hire a game composer so that they can do this stuff. And then uh, you know, the with music, they'll it's a very you know it's obviously a creative piece of content. So the agreements look a little different sometimes than other agreements. And uh, so we're gonna show you three different kinds. Yeah. So the purposes of these contracts are obviously to see who owns it, obviously, first and foremost. Um, what we're going to be delivering to you, um, what the, the delivery milestones are in a game, just is there's development milestones, um, how much you guys are paying, which is super important for you and us, and, um, you know, what's your rights as a developer? Where can you use it? Can you go around and license it to use it in all the things involved with your project or no? Um, and what are our uses? usage rights. Can we use it in our portfolio, on our Facebook page? Can we do that sort of thing? So um, so we're just going to go through a few of the contract types here. So Yeah, and it's it's really important to spell out all those things. So yeah, let's look at the first one. Um, work for hire. You know, this is the most common type of agreement that you run into with composers, and it's essentially where I'm the composer, I've written music, and I am selling you my music or sound. You're buying it from me, and you're taking all the rights for it as a developer you become the owners of the music and sound. And, uh, you know, this is the most, uh, and so you've got the rights associated with it. And because you have the rights, the developer then can usually use the audio however they want in the project, because you own it. Um, you've also got the exclusive right to use the audio, meaning you're the only ones that can use it. I can't go around and turn around and sell it to Bob or Joe over there. You've bought it, it's yours. And then lastly, you know, this is uh, the, the disadvantage for developers is that this is a more expensive agreement because you are buying out all of our rights. Um, and, and I'm going to show in detail uh, in a few slides some important clauses to be aware of in these contracts. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, we've, we've got work for hire where you, I, me, <laughs> the composer selling the developer my rights. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got licenses. Great. So we have two sorts of licenses. The first we'll talk about is the non-exclusive. So this means that we are retaining the rights to the music, sound effects, anything we do for your project. We could go around and turn it to another game, etc. However, don't be afraid of these. Um, we're writing the same custom music for your game, which is super important to remember. Um, you're getting the same exact product. Um, it's obviously a lot cheaper, and it's a great way to save your guys, you yourself, some money when working with people like us. Um, and again, you can still have unrestricted use of the audio in your project and things involved with that usually. Um, but, you know, again, we could turn around and use this for whatever we would like to use it for. Um, so, yeah, those are the main Yeah, main And we use this negotiating with, uh, with developers all the time, you know. So if they don't want to buy out all of our rights and pay that full price, we'll say, okay, well, we'll retain the right to go sell it to Bob and Joe and still give you the same music. Yeah. So. But, um, yeah. And then we have, obviously, the exclusive license, um, which is we're going to, well, you're going to retain all of the rights, but it's usually for a certain amount of time, and then those rights transfer back to us. Um, and sometimes it's industry-specific, so we might be able to use that audio in a trailer or a film or something, however, pertaining to the game or anything in the game world, we're not going to turn around and license that to someone else. Usually this lasts about one to five years. Um, we like to call this the happy medium, you know, between the work for hire and the, the, the non-exclusive license, um, and it really is a healthy balance of price and control, because it's right in the middle as far as price is concerned. Yeah. And um, everyone's kind of happy. You guys could use it for what you need, um, but then we also get those rights back eventually. So Yeah, so work for hire. I make the music. I'm the composer. I sell it to you. You get all the rights. 
non-exclusive, I'm the composer, I make the music, I retain all the rights, and I can sell it to other people. <coughs> exclusive, I'm the composer, I make the music, I retain the rights, but I give you the exclusive right to it, so I can't sell it to anyone else. And then it usually reverts back to us after a few times. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, as discussed. So, most common, though, is the work for hire, and you're like seeing that contract, and you're like, oh my god, this is awful, I don't want to see this but anyway uh, so yeah let's jump through that really quick uh, just a few key points that really uh, you know go to developers helping protect themselves and I'm gonna I gotta hit play over here on my keynote so that I can see all the different slide changes one second um, okay cool so the first thing you know services it's like you know what are you paying for at music sound dialogue what are you buying this will be really quick jumping on to the next some so payment for services what are you getting paid? You want to spell out exactly how much you're going to uh, charge and how much uh, you're going to pay for the music and sound. Next contract, and this is our next point, and this is the independent contractor point. That's important for you as a developer because this essentially says uh, that the composer or sound designer you're hiring is not uh, on salary and does not need benefits. They have to, you know, take care of their own taxes. It just protects the developers, so they're a little, uh, make everything clear there. Uh, next, warranties. These are things, again, that protect you as the developer. So this says, okay, the music we're writing, it's original. We're not stealing John Williams music, as I always <laughs> say. Score again. Yes, right. <laughs> but then, uh, if we do steal it, uh, you know, and, and we're not going to steal it, and there's some other warranties as well, but we'll jump on to the indemnification. Uh, so then it usually says, if we do steal John Williams' music, you guys are protected. And there's different levels of indemnification, but the indemnification just says it falls on us if we screw things up. Next, there's usually a little uh, confidential information clause, a little NDA clause about not you know, disclosing things. Um, and then some specific legal language about the ownership and assignment of rights uh, specific to work for hire, legal mumbo-jumbo. Um, we'll skip the subcontracting. And then there's some rights that are specific to us as the content creators. So if you remember, we talked about uh, composer-specific rights, things like the ability for us to post our work on our website is something that we like in our contracts so that we can advertise you know, the music to other people to get them to hire us. Similarly, we often spell out how we're going to be credited. and. Uh, the credit is a great way, you know, as well to negotiate with your composer. If you're on a budget, you know, maybe you say, okay, I'll put your name at the opening cinematic instead of, you know, just in the back, you know, because to, to help compensate for our lack of budget, we'll get you a little more exposure, things like that. So you spell out how you want to be credited. Uh, that, that's really uh, it for the, uh, the contract. I don't want to go too detailed there, but, you know, some key points to be thinking about if you guys ever hire a composer or sound designer. Yeah. Let's talk about money. Um, you know, this is the question most most people have. What's you know? what? <laughs> and you know, I whenever I meet a developer, like without fail, within like ten minutes of the conversation, they're like, "Ah, what do you charge? What's what's like general? What do you charge for an like, indie game?" It's funny. I, I gave and I gave this talk uh, at GDC Next, and you'll see by the end of it why I'm like that's not a question I can just answer. But and then I got like three emails from people who attended the talk after <laughs> and who were like, "Can you just give me a range for like?" an indie budget. Anyway, but you'll see why that's funny in a minute. Because my response is always to them, you know, when they ask, how much do you charge? My response is always, what's your budget? And uh, the reason being, because there are so many factors. Um, yeah, like, you know, what the deadline is, 
uh, musical style, whether or not, you know, we're talking about a solo piano piece versus epic orchestral piece. Are we going to get live players to play that orchestral, those orchestral pieces, or a piano player to play that? You can piano? throw up the bullet points if you want, just FYI. We're, uh, we're just going through them. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, you know, what's the release platform? Is this a AAA console, or is it a Facebook game for the American Cancer Society? Again, are we going to use uh, one, a work for hire or one of the license deals? Right, you know, I mean, like we just talked about, buying out the rights or us keeping the rights, really big effect on the price there. Yeah. Um, how much are you buying? You know, yeah. we're like Costco. I more and say yeah. But if you're going to buy 500 sound effects, it's obviously going to be different than if you need 5 sound effects or 50 sound effects. Yeah, and, we, we uh, give bulk discounts all the time. Exactly, and that goes into, obviously, the depth of the audio experience as well, which is, you know, how crazy we're going to get with interactivity. Uh, if we're going to be using middleware. Um, like Andy do? said, with the mobile game, you know, you could put one minute, three minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, all in the same game. It's going to be a better game if you've got, you know, maybe you don't need twenty, but if you've got more than one looping track, it's going to be a better game, but the game can still exist with a single piece of music. So saying how much do you charge is a very, very difficult question to answer without knowing more about your game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one, of, one of our clients um, that, we, that we work with on their page where, where you go to contact them, it says, when do you need your project done by? And one of the options is yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, deadlines are, are a huge part of that. Yeah. You know, like sometimes we get calls where it's like, we need this in two days or in a day, and, you know, <laughs> we'll do it. Because, but it's going to cost more than if you need it in a year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, contacting guys early is, is, uh, is important. Totally. Anyway, let's jump on to payment models. And you can hit all these bullet points again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just basically talking about how composers and sound designers uh, charge. Uh, you know, typically with music, it's a per minute music. So not per minute that we're working, but. Yeah, and then sound effects, yeah. <laughs> and then sound effects are usually per asset, so, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes a flat fee. That's also common too. You might quote a project and say, "Okay, I'll do your whole project, regardless of how many sound effects for you know twenty thousand dollars." I don't know. What. Sometimes hourly rate. We usually don't do this. Yeah. This is a really hard one to gauge. Um, so usually it's a valid thing. People do it. We don't. We don't. But um, yeah. Um, and some like weird thing <laughs> happening below us. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then um, usually uh, we really like to. Um, Try to get back end profit sharing. You know, if we, we if the budget a, isn't there, yeah, yeah, that's a big thing uh, with with audio to think about. Um, at the end of the day, is um, is it really gonna cost that much to give 0.5 percent of back end um, when you can't give anything up front? Because we always have passion projects. You know, we make money on some of our projects, but we we really like to believe in games that are really cool. And sometimes the best yeah. way to do that is just to share the game. The indie scene, you know, like uh, they often can't afford because um, they don't have that upfront money. And so we'll talk about a back-end profit sharing percentage. And, you know, if you talk to people who have been doing this like 30 years, that didn't exist like 10, 20, 30 years ago. Like audio guys did not get back-end profit sharing usually because they were just paid up front. But that's kind of gone away, uh, you know, and I guess that kind of is probably true of a yeah. lot of things, yeah, of all industries. But yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that, you know, so thinking about that is a very, you know, valid thing. And, um, you know, you, it's usually accompanied by some upfront fee. Uh, it's usually a reduced amount. But, uh, you know, the back end thing is definitely valid. We want, you know, new developers to be, you know, less afraid of that and uh, more open to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then any combination of the above, too. Cool. Anyway, um, so, so how does this kind of break down? And you can throw all these up here, you know. 
just showing you uh, music, sound, and dialogue. You know, there's a lot of components here. So when we're talking about what we're charging, we charge different prices for themes in the music. So uh, we might write a musical theme that has, you know, its, its setting, and we charge one price for that. But then we might put an arrangement of that in an underwater level, a desert level, a jungle level, the same theme, but different arrangements for different levels. And we charge less for those arrangements. Those little transitional segments you heard in that in that uh, demo I played, those are transitions. We charge less for those, and an even different price for things like stingers, like a coin pickup or an end game, like do do sound like that when you die. Um, with sound effects, we break things out into primary sound effects, like if you think about a creature having an attack sound, and then it's like uh, die sound, idle sound. Those are all kind of primary sounds. Iterations might be like attack 01, attack 02, attack 03, die 01, die 02, and we charge less for iterations. Um, UI and ambiences, different prices there. And then dialogue is just a whole slew of components like casting, different, you know, usually you hire someone to cast all the actors. Getting Kevin Spacey for the next Call of Duty game, or we're Kevin Spacey for the next doing mobile. it ourselves. Who well, doesn't want to use Kevin Spacey? Yeah. But <laughs> you're right. And then you know, so they charge you know a few hundred, a few thousand an hour, depending on the actor. Usually, there's someone directing them while they're being recorded. Someone recording them, editing them, processing. There's a lot. You know, just throwing this up here so you know all the different components of music sound that are out there. So again, asking what do you charge? What does your game need is a, you know, very, uh, we need to know what your game needs yeah. before we can say. Cool, next slide. Anyway, yeah. So we're getting close to the end here, and we can do some questions. But just talking about like a theoretical project. Say you've got a low budget, $160,000 Kickstarter project. You know, like, uh, and I remember, uh, so, so talking about music sound, we're typically looking at like 5 to 15% of the budget being allocated to audio. 5 to 15, usually hovering around 10, 15, 20, 25. Very good. 100. Very good. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, and so a common problem with this, though, is that your game, to be awesome, needs like this much music. But your budget is only going to allow for this much music. So let's say you've got a hypothetical game here that where a project might need 18 minutes of music and 300 sound effects. So say we were going to charge, you know, like seven fifty a minute for themes and five hundred a minute for arrangements, which are, you know, kind of indie prices. Um, you know, we uh, charge up to like a we do we, we different scale because of all the different uh, factors involved. But you know, up to like a thousand dollars a minute is um, is pretty typical. You know, the big guys on AAA will be charging you know, twenty five hundred a minute, but you know, up to a thousand a minute of music is uh, pretty typical between five hundred thousand and. Um, and then maybe, you know, sound effects, maybe a combination of all those kind of total 12500 Let's say this game, to be awesome again, needs $23,500 for the audio. And you're like, oh my god, that's a lot of money. Um, and let's say the developer has only allocated 11000 to audio. Right, so some things we can do to reduce the cost are um, we can reduce the original music themes and increase the arrangements. Uh, so we can just do a lot of iterations of things, which is actually a very feasible option because as composers, we're trained to do that. Um, we can reduce the number of sound effects iterations, just have more of those primaries. Only attack 01 instead of 020304. Exactly. Um, we can do back-end profit sharing, as we <coughs> mentioned before, so maybe add 3% on that. 
And then we could use a license agreement instead of, say, you're using work for hire. So, um, so yeah. Just some common things, you know, to think about in that negotiating process about how can we work with the audio guy to reduce the cost to something we're both comfortable with. Um, yeah, so let, let's just wrap up really quick. Um, you know, what did we talk about? Um, interactivity. It's music. It's sound. It's responding dynamically to player input. The player does something. The music, the sound, it changes, it reacts. Uh, it's going to create a deeper player experience. It's going to reduce the cost if you do it right. And we're doing this with FMOD, WISE, Fabric, different audio middleware. Um, and then for budgets, you know, we're trying to look at 5 to 15 percent of the total budget of your game allocated to audio. Um, remember to consider back-end payments. We really think that's going to be part of the future of how audio works within, especially the indie market. And um, just be willing to negotiate and figure things out. You know, um, your costs fluctuate, our costs fluctuate, so it's, it just needs to be a negotiation. We can usually figure something out, and any audio person can. Yeah. Oh, and then we uh, jumped over agreements. But, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, no, 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 it's right cool. down. <laughs> it's all good. No, um, and agreements, again, you know, we're talking about work for hire. <laughs> I'm the composer, I'm writing the music, you as the developer are buying it. Licenses, I'm the composer, I write the music, I retain the rights, and then I give you some type of license to use the music. But, um, you know, that, that kind of wraps up, I think, you know, the, the core points we we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know, if you guys have specific questions, we're happy to answer them. Or, Philip, you have any uh, additional, you know, points you want to touch on. Thanks. I think for questions, if anyone has any questions, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it so that I'm, since I'm a little bit closer to the mic, although maybe the mic might pick you up if you're in the back of the room. We'll give it a shot. It doesn't need to be a question about what we talked about, too. You know, any audio-related things. Favorite color. Yeah, as loud as you can. Did you measure cash flow? I think so. So was the, the gist of it basically being folks using music and sound and then getting takedown notices? Is that what you said? Yeah, takedown no notices on services like YouTube or Twitch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the whole takedown notice thing has really come about because you know people are just using the music or just using the sound without asking for permission for it. Now, in an actual gameplay video, if you're streaming Twitch, like that is really a very developer-specific question. And that's not something that we, as the composers and sound designers, really even have control over. Yeah. You know, if it's for a game and if it's in a game, you know, if we're working on a Nintendo game and it goes out to them, uh, then that is owned by Nintendo. And if it's not owned by Nintendo, they've got the license for it. So it's all on them with regards to that. You know, so some developers are totally cool letting it slide. Some developers are not. But that's really, you know... Uh, it's a shifting. It's yeah. all being figured and out. Usually, right that now. happens. Obviously, in the bigger game world, I mean, you're not looking at. I mean, that might happen. Like the biggest game that would probably happen within the indie world would be something like Journey or something like that. But and you know, most often, at least now, developers are you know pretty cool with it. But I know they're you know that it's it's all being figured out right now. That's a very yeah. shifting landscape. And it has to do with royalties and music. And that's um, another thing. There's yeah, like because there's easy like. Collections have been set up for film and TV for eons now, and there's a system in place for that. But 
there's really no landscape for games. It's yet, a little different so. with YouTube and then Twitch as well. You know, like we get paid point zero 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 one cents every time someone watches something on YouTube. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's it, it, <laughs> in in five years, hopefully that will all be figured out. But sorry, I don't have a better answer. <laughs> it's not our fault. It's the developer. <laughs> Just, just, just a follow-up question on that. It seems like in order for all these services to actually detect that they're using the music, they need to cross-check it against some sort of audio database. So is that something that you as composers usually end up submitting, or is that something that the game companies usually end up doing? Or does it really depend on the license agreement that you have with the, uh, with the company? It's usually the game. It's usually the developer. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's a there's a couple different ways. We have friends who work for for PlayStation, and they were just talking about how they posted things on their PlayStation America North America account, and they got taken down by PlayStation like Japan or something. So, own their own companies aren't even really able to quite mesh this together yet. But you know, there's there's the databases are sometimes internal to publishers. But they're also uh, sometimes, you know, there's scanning services that uh, that these royalty agencies like BMI and ASCAP actually have, and they've got these automatic scanning that are set up, and that sometimes comes about because we submit our music to these uh, royalty agencies like ASCAP and BMI in order to be able to get paid. But then they use them to find out how many times things are getting played. They don't use them to figure out like what should be taken down so i think exactly that, yeah i think like especially it, it, like in the, in the on the indie level like if the only way we would be able to detect something is if we went and watched youtube video our music was in it and we we're like oh crap that's yeah. my music we and don't have like, like these these engines going you know those are like the publishers have like teams of people doing takedowns <laughs> on their content so yeah yeah and i don't know all the details behind that True. but uh <laughs> right but i um, Sorry, the uh, the ASCAP stands for Oh American Society of Composers and Publishers. I want to say publishers. I think I'm published. Yeah, we're we we just get the BMI's, checks from them. PMI is Broadcast Music Incorporated. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can take a look at that. They're called PROs. Composers, Report. authors, and publishers. Yes. Yeah. Other questions? You know this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do those all the time, and that's a totally legitimate thing, you know, if yeah. you aren't sure. Asking them to do, like, a one-minute demo, or, like, a 30-second demo. One minute, it can be, like, you know. But I'd say, like, a 30-second demo is totally legitimate. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and usually the best way to do that, guys, just so you know, take some gameplay, be it from your game, a different game, concept art for your game, get, take some visuals as a video, send it to them, yeah. Um, or just concept art, send it to them and let them work with that. Because you know? then we can even we could even do an interactive demo for it at that point. The you know the big thing again is there's a difference between being able to write good music and having a core concept for a game from the beginning and thinking about interactivity when you're composing um, and doing sound effects um, because it's a whole whole different animal. Yeah, but the tests the the demos are totally legitimate. We do them all the time. But uh, sending some visuals along is like very important for to making sure you get what you want and then we're able to kind of see what the game is going to look like and then make that decision otherwise we might write something that we uh that you might not have the vision for because we haven't seen the art and maybe we could easily do what you wanted but we just misinterpreted it and went a different direction so but yeah test legitimate absolutely 
questions? Yeah. How much are they paid in the music test? Will you be paid for an audio test or a, What did the a, art a guys say? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have, we have not found that to be extremely common with what we do. We'd like it to be more common. It used but, to be a thing. Yeah, it used, to, it used to be for a like film or for for commercials. It was a big yeah, thing. You get paid for doing a demo. I think it's definitely more common in the game world. In the film and TV world, it's so saturated with composers and sound designers right now that they don't need to because so many people want the work. Um, but um, you know, it's it is a respectful thing to do i think you know if it's a longer demo if it's a shorter demo then it's like we're yeah, happy if it's to a get longer, the gig i mean you know, like we're like, going to keep the rights to that anyway so you could say like you know a couple hundred bucks maybe but i mean like it's if you're you know it's not a required thing if we want the gig you know we're happy to do a 30 second demo to try and get it often um it's nice to throw a couple hundred bucks but it's like at that point it's a couple hundred bucks it's not like you know yeah <laughs> it's like it's you know it's pennies in the grand scheme of things yeah. Uh, if the project is larger, so yeah. Anyway, hopefully that. Helps. Yes. Do you find that anyway. part of your job is convincing people that audio is important? Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a big mean, part of it, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, we use the three things: emotion, function. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the biggest argument in that is probably in the mobile scene, you know, where it's like someone sits on like in class, like someone was probably playing a mobile game during our talk today. And um, just um, but uh, you know, it's like a big thing. It's like, well, do they just mute that? And then it's like, yeah, you could say that, but like some people do listen to it. And when they do listen to it, they listen on headphones. And we were at a talk at a conference this year called Game SoundCon. <laughs> Um, with a composer named Guy Whitmore who did the music for Peggle and Peggle 2 and he was talking about there's not a more intimate experience for audio than in headphones you know or um, in that arena but I think you know in, in, in general I, I mean it is undeniably important. You can and, put out a game it can do well with you know a mobile game can do okay with you know bad audio we're not gonna lie that'll like that's a thing like Flappy Bird <laughs> but Believe me, I love Flappy Bird. Like yeah. I have like triple digit score on Flappy Bird. So, but, um, but but uh, but you know, if you want to set your game apart, you know, like people look at that polished experience. They look at they look at you know, if we're talking about indie games, they look at something like Journey or mobile games. You know, something like Peggle Two. They look at that and they're like, wow, this entire experience is super polished. It's super. Um, it's right. a great and, game. And, and it's broken down into three parts, really. Right? It's the it's the Functional, it's the, well, the like the mechanic of the game, it's the visual, and um, it's the audio, and those are all a third of, of, of the game. And if you take out one of those, it's like you can still have a game if you take out if you don't have great art, that's fine. That's, there's a lot of great games that don't have great art. If you don't have a great mechanics, okay, maybe it's pretty and sounds nice, like that'll still sell. If that was a pie and you had people over for a party, would you hand them only two thirds of the pie? They'd be like, this crazy, it's selfish. <laughs> so. <laughs> he says that because I eat like a pie. I have a thing right. Yeah, I eat a pie a week. That's anyway, a whole nother, whole nother. <laughs> But no, seriously. So your your game can function without one of these things being great, but like it's not going to be as great an experience. So, <coughs> I close No, then I want to th thank you again very much for uh, for speaking to our students and. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah, and, you know, uh, I don't know. You feel free to put up our email addresses. Um, mine is R Ludlow, and his is A Forsberg. If you if you wanna, okay. And, and oh yeah, perfect. Okay. Yeah, cool. And yeah. Um, yeah, feel free to shoot us an email. You know, I mean, uh, if you have any questions, we're happy to you know, yeah. we're happy to to support audio with the new generation of developers. So uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, there's a lot of great people over at Berkeley too. You know, like if you're looking for composers and sound designers to collaborate yeah. with other students, there's a lot of great people over there. There's the Video Game Music Club. Don't be afraid to cross the bridge. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Video Game Music Club. Um, they do a lot of. There's always like if you shoot them an email, you'll get like ten responses from people who are like, yes, let me like help you work on this game. Like you're not getting paid. I'm not getting paid. They might be like okay with that. Yeah, and I mean, you guys have the facilities for what you do, and Berkeley has the facilities for what you do. Okay. Anyway, but then you can call us when you got paid yet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, uh, thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate uh, you guys caring about yeah. audio. Really, honestly, really, we really appreciate people caring about music and sound a little bit. So um, and thanks so much. Good and, luck uh, with the rest of your semester. Absolutely. Thanks. See you guys around. Cheers, guys. Adios. Um, so yeah, so on that note, um, if you are taking CMS 617 next semester, um, the Advanced Game Studio, CMS 610, the Media Arts um, Industries blah class, um, both of those are making a, a, a good polished experience for the end of the for the end of the semester, um, with the idea of either showing it to publishers or submitting it to a festival. So audio is really really important in those two classes. And going to Berkeley for, for that kind of support is, is highly recommended. Um, also recommend in this class if you've, got, if you've got the time as well. Um, and let us know if you'd like uh, more information about connecting with Berkeley folks. Yeah, we actually know the instructors and even some, um, some alums, uh, but the alums know the people who are still in college. Yeah, just email they video game bosses if, you, if you'd like that contact info. Otherwise, you've got five minutes to take a break, um, meet back up with your teams, and Pablo will be in at 2 o'clock to play three games. <laughs>